Welcome to Backyard Catch Podcast. This is your host, Nick Roby, for the pilot episode, episode one, numero uno. I'm so excited to get started, guys. Um, first off, thank you so much for jumping in and listening. Um, I know I've talked to several people, and it's just been fun to have this idea and then um, get started and have so much support. So thank you so much for all of those already for you who have been so supportive of me. And so we're going to jump right in. And so we've got a bunch of fun things planned. Uh, we have our uh, head website, uh, backhardcatch.com. We've already jumped in. I mean, we've had a couple articles. We've had a welcome article, Let's Play Ball. Um, it's a great way to start a baseball game, Let's Play Ball. And just jumping in saying kind of what we're about, what we're getting into. Um, this thing is moving and growing as we go. Um, but I wanted to also share some of the heart behind it too. Um, and then also we're going to uh, jump into, uh, we had released our 18 playoff article and what that would have looked like. There's been so much talk of back and forth if it should be 14 or it should be 18. And really that's just a fun way to get started and see what would have an 18 playoff looked like uh, this year. And so, but first, uh, just to give you a little background of me, um, my name's Nick. I am currently living in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, just recently got married to my beautiful wife. Uh, so so much fun, so much exciting things going on. Um, I've gotten started in sports uh, from a very early age. I was playing catch in the backyard as far as I can remember. We were shooting hoops. We were watching games. Um, it was so much fun. I mean, I can't remember a time in my life where we weren't playing sports. Um, my brother and I, uh, Tim, would go back and forth all the time. We played a lot of one-on-one games, uh, one-on-one basketball. Uh, the big one was football, too. We would play one-on-one tackle football and uh, just line up head-to-head, grudge match, facing each other, wearing the face masks and everything. And we would play tackle football, and we would just try to score on each other. I would, um, I'm bigger than him. And so I would try to just ram him over and he was quicker than me. So he would try to jump around me and we, we would have the best time. I mean, it would usually end in some kind of disagreement, but I mean, what, that's what brothers do. Uh, we used to always say we're out of balance when we're trying to go out of bounds. Um, but he and I were just close with that and it was so much fun. Uh, I remember, uh, playing basketball in the backyard and making up games for myself, making up tournament brackets, uh, shooting free throws, getting the last second shot, and it's swishing in. I mean, we played horse, all those things, and and you just grow up. I mean, I would just practice playing wiffle ball, uh, have these different teams uh, play all these different games where you would like certain thing. If you hit off the wall, it was a double. If you hit it past the neighbor's bushes, that was a home run. I know they didn't really love that, but you know, some kind of marker like that. We just did that our whole life. And I grew up loving um, the Baltimore Orioles. That was my favorite team. So I grew up in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, and they were the closest team. Um, that was before the Nationals came to town in D.C. when they moved from Montreal. And so the Baltimore Orioles were the closest team. I remember going with um, my whole family, driving up to Baltimore, seeing the harbor, uh, being on the waterfront, seeing the Battle of 1812, that whole area, and then going to Camden Yards. And it was such a magical, wonderful thing, um, you know, sitting in the outfield bleachers on a beautiful day and seeing guys like Cal Ripken Jr., Brady Anderson, BJ Surhoff, uh, all these guys just became, I thought it was such an amazing thing that they're getting to do 
something that I love, and that was their job. And I loved Cal Ripken Jr. I mean, a guy who started two, over 2,000 straight games in a baseball season, never asking out. I think he just, it was just, he was just my, my hero growing up. And even though we played totally different positions, I mean, I'm a tall guy, left-handed, so I played first base and pitcher, but Cal was just a shortstop. But I just love the way he played. Um, we had so much fun going back and forth. So the Orioles have been my favorite team for, for like forever in baseball. Now we they haven't been very good. They probably made the playoffs like four times in my lifetime. But I think what's so fun about that is that they're just your team and um, not everybody else liked them, but it was just fun to watch them. Um, I also remember growing, going to Clemson Tigers uh, games, Clemson Tigers football games. And um, cause my grandmother lived down there and that was such a fun thing. I mean, the atmosphere of college football, there's just nothing like it. The Tigers running down the hill, you know, watching CJ Spiller take the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. Um, watching guys like Woody Dantzler, um, winning a game in overtime, um, him running around. Uh, I mean, just all that's just so much fun. And I know all my teams ended up being orange. I didn't plan that, but it ended up working out that way. Um, playing rec league, ball um, with my dad being the coach and just getting to to watch all these games and um, get to play and, and play with your friends. And I think that's just what's so fun about sports is that there's such a, a deep connection we have with people and we're so close to everyone um, when you go through something like that together, even as kids and uh, all these different teams. I mean, getting to wear like these major league jerseys, I loved it um, so much. Even like watching the Olympics, I thought that was so cool. Getting to represent your country, and uh, I remember swimming was so so much fun to watch, just because the way they would show the bar meter of the um, or track. They would do this too. They would have the meter, uh, the line of where the world record was, and you could watch these guys just running back and forth trying to um, to catch this world record. I thought that was the coolest little graphic, and that's a little nerdy, but I loved it. Um, and so, I mean, there's so much in here. My dad and I would play uh, Stratomatic Baseball, uh, which is this card game where you get to take all the major league players uh, their years and take their numbers and get to make your own team and get to use them um, and, and strategize and kind of pretend you were the manager. And you got to see from that perspective. And from seeing that, you get to see this whole vast different way of thinking about the game. I mean, I was doing that from or playing stuff online from, you know, when I was nine, 10 years old and just thinking about it and loving it and just watching it um, so much. I mean, I remember, you know, in 2001 when the Diamondbacks won in game seven, of the World Series, beating the the big bad Yankees, um, who had just won, you know, what was it, four out of five championships, and they defeated the closer Mariano Rivera, who is such a cool guy. Um, but at the time, he was just such a dominant closer. No one could beat him. No one can take him down. Uh, and it was just, I just remember there's just moments like that, and I just thought that was so cool. Uh, we also had games like backyard sports, where you get to draft. Um, players that they made like a Pablo Sanchez or a Pete Wheeler or Keisha Phillips um, or Dimitri Petronov. I mean, these names are like ingrained in my brain um, just from playing. And then they would intertwine the major league players. And it was so cool because you get to play baseball, basketball, um, soccer, football, and 
get to combine these teams and get to make this whole thing. And it was so cool. And Tim and I used to love playing that together. Um, so really, that's kind of where this idea is coming up from, from Backyard Catch, is that we are in a time right now where people love sports so much and we're trying to analyze so much of what's going on. I mean, I love staying in tune on ESPN of who's being traded, who's going this way, what's happening, um, are the Warriors okay, um, all these different things, you know, NFL playoffs, so who's doing well, who's doing not. I mean, Clemson and Alabama just played an awesome game for the national championship and seeing all the reactions of that. But I think what's starting to happen more and more, especially with being such a social media era with Twitter and Instagram kind of dominating uh, how we view and uh, ingest or take in information, it's becoming more and more of a reactionary of beating to who's the first or who has the hottest take. And I think sometimes we're kind of drifting away from the heart of why we love these games in the first place. And I think we're drifting more towards trying to be the first or the best at grabbing the information the quickest or uh, having the hottest take to get the most viewers. And, And I know that that's what these networks are trying to do to get viewership um, and to keep subscriptions going. I mean, it's kind of documented that ESPN's kind of been losing some subscriptions because uh, it's hard for people to pay all for those different things. And um, and so they're trying to figure out what the best thing to do is. And then you have ones like that or Fox or all these other, you know, things like FS1, which is a brand of, of Fox, or you have other ones that are these smaller uh, websites and networks, which are, cool because they analyze sports in kind of a different way or have these like interview conversations or these podcasts, which are interesting, but sometimes they're done in a way to where, I don't know, there's just no filter. There's no boundary with it. It's, it's a lot of um, making fun of people or it's a lot of just trying to be these, have these quick remarks, um, which I know that there's a market for that, but I think there's that there's this medium area where we can talk about sports, like you're talking about it, like you'd be talking about it with your son, or be talking about it with your dad, and you're just talking about it. You're not trying to like um, make it or take it and, and make it into something that it's not. You're just enjoying what it is and just for the love of the game. And I think that's what's so cool about it. And also, I just remember uh, something I loved so much growing up was playing catch. Um, and what the beauty about playing catches, like throwing a baseball back and forth, throwing a football, or just being in the yard, is you're outside together. And you could be having these deep conversations. You'd be having these light conversations. It, it can be all in between. And the f- fun part about that is that there's not a constriction of what it has to be or this hot take or not. I mean, it can be. But I think there's a beauty of it. You don't even have to talk that much. You're just being together and just enjoying that aspect of it. So really what I would love is for this, and especially with this podcast, is this to be like we're playing catch, to be like we're throwing the ball back and forth. You know, it's you and me, and we're just talking, we're just hanging out. We're getting to know each other. Um, some of you I may have known for a while, and some of you have, I've not gotten the chance to, to get to know yet. And so we're just going to kind of take this as it goes. We're, we're going to have some episodes are going to be kind of lighter, you know, like what's your favorite nicknames in sports or, uh, 
your best, the, the five favorite sports moments of your life that you loved. Or it could be deeper or like our athletes making too much money to play a game when you've, we have all these other st- stuff going on. Or it's like, are we setting up people the best uh, when you have these like from nothing to millions of dollars? Is that really setting up people? Are they really getting the financial advice that they need? And I think there's a bunch of different conversations in there that could be fun just to dive into. And so some weeks it'll be like this where it's just me, you and me just hanging out, whether it's in your car or you're at home or listening with some friends, or it could be us, uh, me interviewing with another friend, another person who I think could be fun to bring in for a certain conversation. And it's the three of us hanging out or how many people we end up going and just kind of seeing where it goes. And so, yeah, I'm really excited and I think this can be a really cool thing, and, and I would really enjoy to um, j- to jump into this with you. All right, so we're going to um, jump in to the first uh, breakdown article that the website uh, went into, and that was taking through the eight-team playoff. And so this year, there's been a lot of this back-and-forth uh, debate, you know, and, and people will be like, well, obviously, it should only be the four best teams in the country, that there's not these eight great teams. And then once you start getting to that number, it should be that. And then you have other people, well, they'll be like, well, obviously you should have eight teams because you have five divisions, five conferences, and then you are automatically going to leave one of them out. And then you have one of these uh, at-large bids. And then what about UCF? Like, what do you do with them? And so uh, you just hear this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so, you know, when you have teams like Clemson or Alabama, who've been getting in practically every year, um, I think except for one year um, when Clemson didn't get in, and Alabama's been in every year, I mean, of course, they're going to be okay with uh, the playoff just the way it is. Because why would they want to play another game? You know, like football's hard enough as it is, and there's injuries, and there's uh, fatigue, and there's all these different things. And so why would they want to play another another thing, another game? And so, but then you have these other teams like uh, Georgia, who just lost so close and they're hoping to get in, or UCF, who's been dying to get into this playoff and wanting to play with the big boys. Um, I mean, there's always a team looking out on the outskirts in, or you have the Pac 12, who is fighting and, and barely gets a shot, or an Ohio State, who has a good year, but it wasn't quite enough to reach that level. And so you have a conference that's getting left out. And then you have like two years ago, where you have Georgia and Alabama, two from the same conference make it in. And so there's just a lot of this talk back and forth. And I think there's a lot of obvious, like, oh, it should be obviously this or obviously this. And and I think sometimes that takes away the joy of what actually this is. And I think that we have a good playoff system right now. But also, eight teams could be really good too. And it could be good to include those other teams and make them play. And I think it's very dependent on the year. And that's why this gets tricky is because we get so reactionary to what happened, you know, when you have a little bit more uh, diversity in the teams and then they're more on an equal playing field, it, a bigger playoff makes more sense. But then when you have two dominant teams like this year, Alabama and Clemson, when they're, then they're clearly in this first tier of everybody else. It's like, well, do you really want to include you know, a three-loss conference champion in there just because they won their game to be in the playoff. You know, when you, well, we obviously know who the teams are 
And obvious is like this interesting question because obvious is or word and it's just from what our perspective is. And so anyway, the fun part about this article is just really wanted to dive into what would it have looked like? Because right now we do have a 14 playoff where the two semifinals are rotated between the, the traditional New Year's Six Bulls and then they have a championship site. And so it'd be like, what would it have looked like with an 18 playoff? Um, and so that's what we're going to dive into. And so to set this up, really, you would have had to, if you're going to do eight teams, because uh, there's so much um, logistics and, and the power that's at play and you, to get everyone to participate and you really want this to be the best thing across the country, you would have to include the conference champion of the five uh, conferences, you know, the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12. And I know with some of these other conferences where they say their number, it's funny when they're different. Uh, actual numbers, how many teams are in their conference. But so you have to take those five. And I think it really doesn't matter how they will have determined it. Now, most of them will have probably determined it by still doing a conference championship game because, I mean, there's a lot of money in that and it gives – uh, the opportunity for teams to get in, um, but I think you let them in. And and with an eight team, one of the caveats is that you have a team like a Northwestern or even like a Pittsburgh, who I think they were seven and five going into the championship game because they were the best because the Coastal was way below the Atlantic this year in ACC. And so people, that's a big caveat. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, just let them in. And I think you have to kind of make it equal across the board. You can't just kind of pick and choose the opinions of like, well, this team's really good or this team's not. You have to give some kind of level playing field or equal standards for everybody. And I think with an eight team, if you were to do it this way, yes, there would be some teams every every so often that might get let in that way. But for the most part, it, it kind of works itself out. Um, and you could rank them accordingly. And so you have those five. So we're going to take the, those five. You have Clemson, Alabama. And then Ohio State from the Big Twelve, Big Ten, Oklahoma from the Big Twelve, and Washington from the Pac Twelve. And so you have those five. So the tricky part with filling out eight teams is you have three more spots. And so with these three, um, some have said you have to give an automatic to the non-power five team, and some say no, you shouldn't. And so this, if we say we take these three teams, and we say we take a Notre Dame uh, who's undefeated. And, you, and I know we're doing this kind of after the fact, or this is we're listening to this from that perspective. So you have to kind of put yourself back into the place, back into December when all we were deciding all this, and we don't don't know the bowl games, don't know the championship. And so from that perspective, Notre Dame's twelve and zero. You know they've beaten everybody on their schedule, and a lot there's a lot of disagreement of what to do with Notre Dame because they don't play in a conference, and, they, and there's not this equal. Uh, playing field, they're just playing their rivalries. And, and a lot of times they do play these tough teams, but then other times they get to play these other teams that aren't as good just because they're rivals. And I think that's tricky because they play five ACC games every year, but then they're still independent. But regardless of how you feel about all that, an undefeated Notre Dame is an undefeated Notre Dame, you know? And I think we have to, if we're being realistic about this, we can't just not include them just because we don't like them. We don't like that they don't have to play a conference championship. But I do think you can, when you, when you're these are being ranked, I think if there's a team like a Clemson, Alabama, or even say like a one loss, say Georgia had one loss and they beat Alabama, I mean, 
I think there's an argument that you could have put them and if that Georgia had actually beat Alabama, you could have put them in front of a Notre Dame because you know of the schedule and having an essay and having a championship game. I think there's an extra criteria point, and I think that should come into play. So you have Notre Dame, and then you would have a Georgia, and then just for the sake of this, you know, to take a UCF and just to see what would happen. And so the fun thing with this is then you have these these eight teams, and then I think that if you're doing an eight-team playoff, a way to make it really easy is to do the home team for the higher seed. Um, You could do it at uh, another neutral site, but I think it's easy because no one is usually using these stadiums other than like coordinating around college, not college, high school championship games. I mean, I think it'd be easy. And who wouldn't want another home game as a reward? I mean, these games would be amazing. I mean, imagine... Death Valley or Alabama or the Horseshoe, like having a home playoff game to advance, you know, it'd be, it'd be really cool. And I think it would really affect and give advantage to teams. And I think it would still make the regular season really have a lot of value with that. And so as we're walking through this, that's what it's going to be kind of like. And so ranking these teams, this is what I had. I had Bama 1, Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, Oklahoma 4, Ohio State 5, Georgia 6, UCF 7, Washington 8. And so the first couple kind of it's it would be similar to what the final standings were in the playoff committee uh, with a few caveats. I think the hard part like we said before you having to take the five conference champions is that that doesn't mean you're taking the top five teams or the automatic teams. It's like, you know, the college basketball tournament is that you have these automatic bids and it doesn't mean that the best team made it in. And in that system, you get the automatic bid and then you have these at large bids and you can rank them differently based on that. But what kind of happens with this is that you would have to take Washington. Washington had a good year. Uh, they, ended up beating Utah in the conference championship and they're nine and three. That's a respectable year. I mean, they made the Rose bowl for a reason. It's a respectable year. And I know it sometimes gives the appearance with this new playoff that some people feel that the bowl games aren't as important, which I think is silly. I mean, these are these like traditional, amazing bowls. I mean, imagine playing in the Rose bowl in Pasadena, California, hundred thousand people, fighting for your school, all the people people who have played before you, and you get to represent your school, I mean, come on. That's amazing. I mean, you think they don't want to win that? But you still would have to take a Washington. And it's, but what do you do? You know, that it would knock somebody else out. And so I think it also makes the final field a little tougher. You know, when you have like a Michigan who has a 10-2 record, but the two teams they lost to was Notre Dame at the beginning of the year, and they lost to... Ohio State, and they kept 62 points. Giving up 62 points to somebody, I mean, I don't care who you are. I mean, that's uh, that's really tough. And I know my mom went to Michigan, and I know she hated that. But, I mean, what are you going to do? It, it's really hard. And so trying to be objective, I mean, you got you to gotta leave them out um, in this, I think. And then Florida was another top-10 team, but then them having three losses and not – making the conference title game. I mean, you, you can't it, – it's a really good bounce back year for Florida, and I was impressed, and I think just the moxie 
of the team and just how they surrounded um, Mullen and the way he's going about it. I think they're going to be a threat in the East, SEC East, um, soon. Uh, but it's just not not right now. And so the way the way I think you would just do this is then you would rank them, you know, one versus eight, two versus seven, and so and so on and so forth. And so I don't want to take away too much from the article. You should go and read that um, on the website. But what's cool is I think you giving I think the big thing is giving the home games. And so the semifinals uh, would then be still at the non-neutral um, sites. And I think you still incorporate the same rotation. You could still do it the same way. Um, and I had um, Bama beating Washington, Oklahoma beating Ohio State, Georgia beating Notre Dame, and Clemson beating UCF. And so going through all that, you walk through and have these same semifinals. Um that we would we would have just had. I mean, close. I just mean the same um, timing of it. And I end up having, you know, still having the same Clemson, Alabama. I mean, like, again, they were the two top tiers in the country this year. And so for them in the championship game, I mean, it just, it just feels like that would be the thing. And so that would be what an 18 playoff would have looked like this year. Um, and so other years you would have teams that are closer um, than that. And I think it, so it really just depends. I think we're really moving towards an 18 playoff. Um, I, I think it's a matter of, um, when these other, when these conferences and, and when the committee is feeling this pressure, I'm not even sure who all puts this together when the people in charge are feeling the pressure of these teams that are constantly being left out because it's hard when it's continually a lot of teams from the East and the Southeast, whether it be, Clemson and Bama, I mean, they've met four times in the past four years in a row and three of the four years in the title game. I mean, we're seeing a dominance between these two programs, which these fan bases love, but then across the country, I mean, everyone's not going to like that. West Coast people are going to be like, you're leaving us out. And I know in the Midwest and the Big Ten, they don't always feel like they're getting their due share. And so I think it, it, we're, we're heading towards a world where I think there is an 18 playoff. I'm not sure when that is, uh, but I think it's coming just because we're in an, uh, a culture right now where everyone wants their fair, equal shot. And I think there's a lot of merit to that, but I think there's also, a, you do want to hold a high standard as well. And it's okay to leave people out as well. And we have to find this medium balance because, you know, like I love uh, college basketball and March Madness. Like that's so much fun to watch. But is it really? Do we really need to, to to bring the top sixty-eight teams in? I mean, it's this fun kind of crapshoot to see what happens. Um, but really, do we need sixty-eight teams? I mean, it's good TV, and 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 granted, you know, every so often you get like a VCU, you know, being from the first four in to the final four, or some Cinderella story that we love, but it ends up being the traditional powers. You know, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Gonzaga recently, Villanova has won two out of three years, and so. I think with these systems, there's going to be pluses and minuses whichever way you go. There's no perfect system. And the problem with this is then you could also, you know, you could do with an eight or a four, you have to have equal number to, to everyone You move on to the next round. Or you do these buys like the NFL, but then I think that throws off the timing of teams and then it's like who gets the buy and then how do you do that? And I don't know. Maybe Maybe that's the way you do it, but I don't. I don't like that as much. Uh, maybe that's just me. I think it throws off 
uh, a lot of times, I don't know. I just, I, I don't like that system as much, but that, that could work. I could be wrong. I think if you're going to expand, you have to go to eight. And I think you have to stop at eight. Do not go higher than that. Um, but it's kind of like this. I mean, that's the, na- the nature with, with any of these things. You know, when you have 68 teams, the team number 69 is going to be saying, well, why didn't we get in? We look at our body of work. This is who we beat. Look who we did on the road. This many points. And so you're, you're nitpicking whatever the cutoff is. I mean, the BCS era, they were nitpicking of like which teams would make it into the championship game. It wasn't this perfect system. And so we're never going to have that, but I think we have to be okay with the system. And I think just also enjoy what we have in front of us uh, and not just worry about always perfecting. I think just also it can be enjoying the fact that we have we have in front of us too and still working on it, but not just be so focused on the future and griping about it, but also enjoying what we have. I mean, what we're watching right now with Clemson, Alabama, we're watching these two, this one traditional power um, who's won, you know, played in the seven of the past 10 championships and, and, and won five under Nick Saban, you know, this decade. I mean, that's crazy uh, to think all that he's accomplished in that and either you love him or you hate him. And I think it's good for the sport. And then you have like Clemson who you have this, uh, Dabo Sweeney was a wide receiver coach as a former walk on in Alabama. And now he's helped make this, this Clemson team who won a championship back in 81, but now they're becoming this power just on the equal level of Alabama winning two out of the past three years and beating Nick Saban head to head two out of one in the title games. And so you have these two back and forth. And I think we're going to look back on this era and be just amazed at all the talent that's flowing through these different teams and how fun this is. Um, We get so caught up in like feeling like our team is getting um, the short end of the stick of what's going on. And I think we just have to be careful and just enjoy what we have um, too. And so, I mean, the title game was crazy. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, I know I'm a huge Clemson fan and so I'm enjoying this right now. And so whether you are, you're not, uh, it was just really fun. And, and I know that as a Clemson fan, I really enjoyed beating Alabama. I mean, that's just, I, I, I just do because they've, they've won so much and, um, rooting for my team. And, and so, I mean, but Alabama is such a great power, um, and so to beat them, I mean, they, they've been the standard for like so long in college football. So that game was really crazy. And I think that Clemson just started pouring it on after that. They really started um, getting to impose their will a little bit. And I think Alabama was just a little bit outmatched. Um, I think they were young in the secondary. Uh, with that, they they played well. It wasn't like Alabama. I don't think Alabama played as bad. I think Clemson just played their A game and was ready for what Alabama was trying to do. And so, I don't know. I mean, there's the, the huge proponent right now is with the reaction to this game. This is what happens. The reaction to the game is like, what's wrong with Alabama? Is this the end of the dynasty? What, what's going on with this? What's happening next um, with them? Is Nick Saban, how long is Nick Saban going on? Is he still the energy to coach? And I think that, I mean, there's things we want to know, but also... Alabama didn't. It wasn't. Like, I don't think they played as bad. They were moving the ball. They just couldn't convert. 
And I think giving credit to to Venables and the defense, um, Brent Venables on the defense, the defensive coordinator, of just the motivation they played with. And I think there was a big chip on their shoulder. And so, and you have these senior leaders coming back, like Wilkins and uh, Farrell and Bryant, on the, all those defensive end guys, all four of them coming back um, to play. And just because they, they had unfinished business. I mean, that's not usual in this day and age. I mean, it, it's it's very understandable how these players who are coming um, and have this opportunity to change their life and, and, and better their families and set up their future and, and change. It's generational change. Um, and, the, you know, these players have had this dream for so long to have it sitting right there. I mean, it's hard not to pass up, you know, signing for millions of dollars. <laughs> You're just signing up for this big contract. And I think it's really cool about the culture going on at Clemson is that you have these players wanting to come back and be in this together and, and finish this. Um, I think just reactions from the game. I mean, too, I think you also have to give credit like Trevor Lawrence, like what a freshman, I mean, coming in, not even as a starter and coming in and winning the job midway through the year. And I mean, so others have said this, but like you never even really saw that freshman moment. He really just like played well. I mean, yes, he had a couple like shaky things in the game, but I mean, like who wouldn't in a title game, you know, with that magnitude as a 19 year old? I mean, he even saw this funny thing on Twitter where he was like 10 months ago, he was just at prom. I mean, man, if I'm playing quarterback, that's crazy. And then to throw for like 347, three touchdowns, no picks. I mean, that's so cool. And not that it's just about numbers, but the poise he was playing with. The way he was, he was distributing the ball. And then you have Justin Ross, another freshman from Alabama. And he comes in and has six catches for 153 and a touchdown with a 74-yard long run. I mean, there's just all this talent as well. And I think that it's really cool to see. You know, and then people jump into like, well, what happens in the future you know, what about the 2021 draft class? Is Trevor Lawrence the top in the country uh, taken out? And I don't know. I, I think, like, yeah, there's a good chance of that, but it's okay if he's not. Um, I think just enjoying the journey where we're at and being okay for them. I mean, that's he's said that, you know, life, like football's not his top priority. It's just um, he's big with his faith and um, just being present and enjoying um playing quarterback and being with his teammates and his friends and um, enjoying the journey of that. And I think that's what's so cool about Dabo is that he's really emphasizing, like enjoying the journey and not just um, the accolades or um, the rings or that, um, but enjoying the journey of being together um, as a team, this one version of the team that's going to be different. It's never going to happen again. Um, and I think what Dabo's doing cannot be understated of the culture that he is creating, this fun family atmosphere of playing for each other, brotherly um, love, and getting to uh, still get the best out of people. Um, so there's different styles, and it's cool to see the different styles of it. And, you know, Alabama, who has all this talent, and they have such a great pathline to the NFL. Um, and they do it in this way of like getting the best out of you and pushing you and getting hard. And Clemson does that too, but in the, its own way. And so it's cool to see these powers go back and forth 
And there's a lot of respect between Dabo and Nick Saban, which I think is cool. Um, but Dabo said something. His just post-game reaction I thought was so cool. Um, that to have this man who you're on this national stage with everybody watching you and Mike gets thrown in your face as, as soon as you win and the joy and they're heaping you praise after praise. And I think just him giving uh, glory to the Father, first off, I thought was really cool. Um, and really just saying like how that's the most important thing in life and he's just uh, blessings of this, uh, of winning is really um, cool. I mean, just that the humble, the joyful, just this honest, complimentary, I mean, it, it'd be hard. It would be hard to not answer these questions of like, when did you know that your dominance, uh, when you dominated them fully and took their will? I mean, what any questions like that, they're just sending on a tee for you just to like talk about yourself and all these accomplishments of what you did and all these things about yourself. And he's really pushing it off and saying like, Hey, we just played our best game and that was a really good team. And there's something that he said in there too about players, um, about wanting to, to serve their hearts and not their talents when you're recruiting or being with these young men. And um, I think that's such a cool uh, perspective that we don't want to miss of not just trying to get the most out of these young men, but also just trying to serve them and knowing that many of them won't continue to play football. There's a very few percentage chance and most of them are trying to, to better their lives and, and set up um, for themselves and their families and their future family and just wanting to serve them as the best they can and not just uh, trying to get the most out of their talent. And so, I don't know, I, I just thought that was really cool, and I, I, I guess I just don't want to, us to miss um, all that was going on in that game. I mean, you have even guys like an Adam Choice, who is the third-string running back um, in the game, you know, and he just seems like another, another guy, but he was originally going to be the starter uh, a couple years ago for the first recent title. Um, but he tore his ACL. And after he tore it, Wayne Gallman took over the starting spot. And he fought back, and he was doing the best he could. And then when you have a team like Clemson where they're still chugging out and getting more and more top recruits, you know, you know he could have left, but he stuck it out, um, earned his spots, got, you know, six touchdowns or so this year, was a leader on the team. That's so cool. Or you have like Hunter Renfro, whose story story I'm sure some of you have heard, but just becoming a walk-on, you know, being a quarterback and just being this team player and um, and quarterback in high school and being this walk-on, earning a spot, earning the respect of the team and leading them and now being a leader, um, getting to step up in a big way a couple years ago and now being a leader for these young guys, these young, talented guys. And I have to think some of that poise and some of that character are things that he has helped lead them in. And I think he's, it's just so cool to see a guy like that represent um, my school personally. So anyway, that's enough. Uh, I'm sure for you non clubs fans, I'm sure you're, you're, that's enough of hearing from us. Um, but I just thought just some reaction from the game, just because I thought that was so cool and not what was expected. Um, and I think just enjoying um, reaction uh, from the game. So there you have it. Um, that's the end of our first podcast. Just wanted to jump in, kind of give a little summary, a little background of me and what the heart behind this is of 
um, us just being together, learning each other and enjoying just spending time and enjoying talking about sports of what I love. And um, if you're listening to us, what you love or enjoy doing with your loved ones is playing sports and watching and being together. And so we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm so excited for what's coming up next. We've already got some fun podcasts in the work, working on some articles coming up. Um, so you can stay tuned, um, subscribe, um, review for us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like or would like to see more of. Um, we love to hear from you. Um, so stay tuned. But for now, we're signing off.